wrapping up the day's sporting issues deep into the night. This is Extra Time on SENZ. One minute after nine, Mark Watson with you through to 11 o'clock. Ben Francis alongside of me. The telephone number is 0800 150 the Previous two hours, we have been talking some super rugby. Joey Wheeler in studio talking the Highlanders. Ian Jones talking the Waikato Chiefs. And then Storm Purvis talking some netball. If you listen to both shows, um, you want to make a comment, 0800 a one five zero eight double one is the number. Oh eight hundred one five zero eight double one. You can text us here on double eight double three. Haven't been on air for a while, and I've got to say, I feel a little bit like a coiled spring, just waiting to explode with enthusiasm and energy. But I want to talk a little bit about the cricket. We had yet again one of the most remarkable Test matches in the history of New Zealand cricket played here at home. A one-run victory off the last ball against Sri Lanka to go with a stunning victory against England in the second test. One of the great test matches ever played, and that's the English saying that. What's disappointing, though, is that how many people actually watched it? A thousand? Two thousand? Probably more people in the ground than probably are actually viewing it. Incredibly disappointing. And it just highlights to me the dumb, dumb decision New Zealand cricket made when they signed with Spark Sport. They took the money and failed to recognise the intangible damage that predominantly they'd lose about 80% of their viewing audience. Those two test matches had enough theatre to inspire the next generation of youngsters to want to take and play the game. But no one watched it. That had been on Television New Zealand on TV1. I was talking with a a broadcasting colleague of mine today about it. You would have had over a million people watching it. But on Spark, no one watched it. Agree or disagree? 0800-150811. What value should an organisation place on viewing audience? They should have stuck with Sky. But they didn't. They were greedy. Part of it, I think, is the external pressure that comes with having to support the Players Association and the players. The players benefit from more money. They get a higher percentage. And therefore, there's more money to go around. 
but we as the fans ultimately miss out. I'll be perfectly honest, I don't have Spark Sport. I wasn't even aware of the situation we were in that we even had a chance of winning this until a colleague texted me and said, are we going to win this? At which point I jumped on ESP and Crick Info and started to realise how this was unfolding. These two tests should be iconic moments. There should have been a real sense of nationalism today. People should have been sitting around in cafes with their coffees talking about this game. Did you see this? Where were you? I was there with my wife, my two kids, or I was there with my husband and my three kids. And it was just compelling. But I didn't hear those conversations today at the cafe. Didn't hear them at all. Brick bat for New Zealand cricket. One of the dumbest decisions ever made. Was giving their sport to Spark. Second thing is that we should be told what those numbers are. New Zealand cricket and Spark should release how many people watch that. I think we're entitled to know that. I certainly think ANZ and the sponsors of New Zealand cricket are entitled to know that. The reason they're not telling you is clearly the numbers are incredibly disappointing. The fact that Spark has basically folded. I never had a lot of faith in Spark. I remember when they set themselves up, I sent a number of emails, seeing what opportunities might be there. Never got a reply. Anytime people don't reply to emails... I question the integrity of those running the organisation. I question the professionalism of those organisations. And it's no surprise that they end up falling over. 0800 150 is the number. Love to get your thoughts on this. I mean, Kane Williamson hit his 27th Test 100. Daryl Mitchell in that first inning scored 102. Two outstanding contributions, two iconic moments, lost. Because no one saw it. I don't think their commentary team is the best. I think they're all a bit too similar. I think they miss a Garth Galloway or a Jeremy Coney type in there. An elder statesman, an orator, a storyteller. And I think that is also part of the problem. And perhaps why there's not quite the engagement that these two tests deserved. 0800-150811 is the number. Love to get your thoughts. Jump on the phone. It's funny, Kane Williamson hit 27 test hundreds. Um, I think he's what, he's up to what, 93 tests now, is it, that he's played for New Zealand? Averages 53.8, almost at 8,000 test runs. Why do I still think Martin Crowe was a better batsman? Why do I still maybe put Glenn Turner ahead of him? Do I need to take my own advice here and 
allow Kane Williamson needs to retire and then let's give us 10 years and maybe we'll reflect on Kane or maybe I'll reflect on Kane Williamson with a little bit more affection and maybe put him as our greatest ever batsman. I'm not sure that statistics always tell a story. I think test wickets these days are a lot more batting friendly than perhaps they once were. Is the quality of opposition as strong now as it once was? Certainly the West Indies are minnows. Where do you rank Kane Williamson all time? 0800 150 is the number if you wish to have a chat on the cricket. Um... The Crusaders. Now, I know that's probably been discussed to death, um, but I haven't had a chance to get on the radio. Putting out a second string side against the Fiji and Drua, coming undone because of it. I understand you want to give your squad time. You, you want all your squad to be playing at some point. It's good for the squad. It's good for the whole environment. And you've got to expose them at some point because injuries will come along. But I think it was always risky in Fiji, just your third game into the season, particularly after having dropped the first game to the Chiefs. Another situation where rest and rotation backfired. Great for the Fiji and Drua. I've been up to Fiji, I've commentated some sevens up there. It's a hard place to play. It's a hostile environment. And I mean that in a, a nice way. I don't mean it's hostile in terms of, you know, uh, from a violent point of view or anything like that. It's just, yeah, they're just really, really passionate. It's a hard place to play. Question I've got, because of what's going on with the All Black coaching saga in the background, is Scott Robertson 100% dialed in? Or has the fact that they lost their forward coach, is it Jason Robinson? Jason Ryan. Jason Ryan, my apologies, sorry, it's just, yeah, Jason Ryan. Uh, how big a loss for the Crusaders? I mean, we're only three games in, aren't we? There's an awful long way to go. But it doesn't get any easier for the Crusaders because they play the Blues at Eden Park. I mean, were the players tired after two weeks? You needed to rest in them in week three so that you've got them ready for week four against the Blues? I mean, does the Crusaders' season come right down to this weekend? If they lose to the Blues, are they done and dusted? Oh eight hundred one five oh eight double one. Would like to get your thoughts on those two issues. Anything else you wish to discuss? Feel free. Do want to have a chat a little bit about Gary Lineker and what's happened in the UK with the BBC. Him using his influence and his social media 
to make political statements and whether he should have the right to do that in the position that he's in. We'll look at that one off the back of the break, but the lines are open. You can text us here on double eight double three. 16 minutes after nine, you are listening to SENZ. Telephone number is 0800 150 um, How many people watched the thrilling finish to the cricket yesterday? I can't imagine that many because I don't know too many people with spark. Big mistake from New Zealand cricket. Dumbass decision a few years ago to go with a new online platform. People are just not in the habit of paying for two. Uh, we should have all been talking about that cricket today. I was... I was um, at a number of cafes today in meetings. Um, I had breakfast with a group of people and no one was talking about it at all. Here you are in a market where sport in this country from a participation point of view is not defined by four or five sports anymore. It's defined by 20. We've still got a small population. You know, one of the big turnoffs for a lot of parents with cricket is the fact it takes so long and they don't want to spend all Saturday morning watching their kids play. They're looking at basketball. They're watching their heroes. They're looking at soccer like Cristiano Ronaldo and Messi. They should be looking at Kane Williamson. They should be looking at Conway. Wagner. And being inspired by what's happened in the last two tests. But the reality is they just haven't. I think we have a right to know what the numbers are viewing the cricket yesterday I have a sneaking feeling that there's probably more people on the ground than actually watching it 0800 is the number Hi Mark Hey Mark, how are you? Good, thank you Good, I can't help but think that the clowns who run Cricket New Zealand are the same quality of clowns who run Sydney trains here in Sydney, I don't know if you heard about it Long story short a computer fault shut down the entire Sydney Rail Network last Wednesday night and it took me five hours to get home where normally it would take me less than two. And then there was a confidential report leaked today which said that the technology they use which involved their driver's radios and the central control centre, the link between that, those two points, went out of whack. That's what caused the network shutdown. And a confidential board report said that technology will be outdated within five years and the people in charge of Sydney Trains have done nothing to prepare for that. Mm. So it could very well happen again. And it just seemed to me that that's very similar to what's happening with the people in charge of Cricket New Zealand. Because, like you said, it was on Spark Sport. Who watched Spark Sport? Very little, if any, people. Oh, no, you, you, mean, had two, you had two of the greatest advertisements for cricket in this country in a decade. Um, moments that should have been discussed today, should have given this nation just such a buzz because of the drama in the theatre and who would have thought that the drama of the test, second test against England could be matched and yet it was and yet That's it's right. just lost on everybody because these guys sat down, the board, whoever, and said, yep, let's have a cash grab. Let's take three or four million dollars more than what Sky are offering, 36% yep. of which goes to the Players Association anyway. Uh, you know, I'd yep. imagine ANZ are going to come back at some point too and going to go you know, they're going to renew their sponsorship and they go, well, look, you guys paid a million dollars the last time we did this deal a season. Um, so, you know, yep. we think this time probably 1.2 and they're going to go, well, hang on a minute. We paid a million dollars because every time they were on Sky playing, we were getting yep. eighty to 100,000 people watching. 
You've now yep. put it on and a platform where suddenly we've got five to 10,000 people watching. So I tell you what, why don't we pay you $200,000 a year? And then New Zealand Cricket yep. go, oh, okay, so we're losing now money this way. So, you know, you don't actually end up making any more money in the long term. You probably end up losing money. And then all those intangibles about simply not being able to inspire people, not being able to get that, that younger generation wanting to take up the game. That's right. And you'll find it tremendously ironic in that New Zealand's one uh, run win, it's all over the news over this side of the ditch. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, and people uh, are tremendously impressed. Yeah, it's extraordinary. Uh, I'd imagine it's a big story in India because it means India now go play Australia in this World Test Championship and Sri Lanka have been knocked out. Yeah, that's right. Um, I, I, I just cannot believe how these people get into these positions, get these jobs, um, and are just squeaky clean, never held accountable, seem to be able to just have a decade in the job, and yet, you know, engagement, uh, viewing numbers, crowd numbers just seem to be in decline. Totally. And the only people, the only people making money today are the players. And it's only the players with players' associations. They're bankrupting the game. They're forcing the game to become top-heavy at the expense of every other form of the game. That's right. It's like you keep saying about the uh, All Blacks. You know, it's like the people in charge at Rugby New Zealand, they're clowns as well in the same regard, putting all their stock into the basket with the All Blacks, putting all their eggs into that basket and neglecting the ground-level, grassroots-level uh, stages of the game with regard to putting money into furthering development from you know kids all the way through to kids in high school mm. to the people above that all the way up to the All Black stages. They but, need to invest at the grassroots level in both cricket and rugby union within New Zealand at you know because if they don't, these sports are going to become relevant. And it's like you keep saying, kids are going to get attracted to like other sports, basketball, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and rugby and cricket are just going to be left behind. Yeah, no, Mark, well said. Lovely to have you on the program tonight. Thank you. It is 22 and a half minutes after 9, 0800 150811. See, I'd like to see a model here. You know, we've got these cricketers, right? I mean, they're all making a pretty good living uh, through the Players Association. They're all sort of on 200,000 plus, and then there's the incentives of all the T20 games, and they still want to seem to put these T20 tournaments at times ahead of playing for New Zealand. Well, I think if you pick up an IPL contract, you automatically forfeit what New Zealand cricket pay you. Because let's be honest, without New Zealand cricket, you don't have any value internationally anyway. And why should New Zealand be compromised because players choose to play in the IPL? As I said, everything is now set up for the players. They get it all their own way. And we're told how tough it is, how hard it is. We bring out the violins... The players in sports that are incredibly well resourced and life's not tough at all. It's actually damn easy. It's actually a joke how easy it is, how big the rewards are. Rugby's the same. Are we any better at it? No, we're not. In fact, I'd argue that our results at the highest level in a lot of sports are worse because of it. 0800-150-811 is the number. I just want to touch on the crowds for Opaki Super Rugby. I was told last year how big women's rugby is. It's the big growth side of it. No one's watching the damn thing. No one is turning up and watching women's super rugby. The stadiums are empty. 
where are the female journalists telling me that I should get along? The female journalists and the journalists telling me that women should be getting paid the same as the men and they deserve a slice of the pie. Did they tune up on the weekend to watch? I didn't see them. Oh, that's right, it's my fault. Me and my friends, male friends, it's our fault. We're misogynists and we're chauvinists because we don't turn up and we won't watch it. What about the two and a half million women in this country? Where are they? Why is no one watching this game? I'll tell you why. Because we don't have time. We prefer the best product and whether you like it or not, the men's game is still a better product because of the history behind a lot of the teams. Hopefully in time the women's game will get there. But that's the problem when you manufacture the importance of something. You inflate the economy. In reality, you're never going to live up to it and things are going to come crumbling down. I don't watch it because I don't like being told I have to watch it by people in the media, by the left, by Sky Television, who, in my opinion, have just simply become a medium for women's rights now. I think the commentary at times is awful. The rugby's okay. But women's rugby was never going to be able to live up to the hype and to the desire of certain journalists in this country who were desperate for us to talk about the top women's players like we do McCaw, like we do Michael Jones, like we do Colin Meads and that that should just be automatic. Where are the two and a half million women in this country? Why are they not turning up and watching women's rugby? I want to know. 0800 150811. You want to be taken seriously? Cop the criticism tonight. I don't want people accusing me of being a chauvinist. I don't want people accusing me of being a misogynist because I'm having a crack at the lack of crowds at Women's Super Rugby. I've just spent 25 minutes having a crack at New Zealand cricket, which is predominantly male. I've just had a crack at the Crusaders, which is predominantly male. I'm now having a crack at Women's Rugby. It's called a level playing field. It's called equity, equality, you know? Hi, Andy. Yeah, g'day, mate. Um, long time no speak. Some the old Druid here. Yeah, hey, um, how are you? Good, mate. Good, good. Yeah, a couple of things. Uh, yeah, the woman's rugby. Um, love my rugby, but to be honest, um, if that French first five had kicked that penalty in the semi-final, um, woman's rugby wouldn't be where it is now, is it? But but then we would have been denied one of the greatest games of rugby ever. That that women's World Cup final was, you know, unbelievable. 
Yeah, it was unbelievable, and Ricky Swinnell did a wonderful job as a commentator, and I'm certainly not including her when I say some of the commentary is bad. Yep. I think Ricky is a shiny light amongst uh, female commentators. Look, it was a great game, wasn't it? It was wonderful. You're right. Um, but it was well, always... We needed that English winger. We but... needed an English winger to be sent off. Otherwise, I think England probably would have rolled us. But but it was all but it was always going to be tough, isn't it, to be able to back that up and somehow take you know present the product without the World Cup tag associated with it and somehow expect us to sort of turn up in our droves. My question is, why is nobody watching it? Why is nobody going along and watching this? And I can't imagine the television numbers are particularly great either. And we've been told how great it is. We've been told it's the rising sport, that it's the next big thing, um, you know, and you're not allowed to think differently. But the reality is, the reality is the data saying that is clearly not the case. I want to know why. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I tend to agree with you. I mean, it's women's rugby. It's like if you go to the pub at four o'clock on a Friday, uh, Saturday afternoon, I mean, are you going to watch NRL, Super Rapid? You know, but they've timed it now, the, the women's games are earlier. And I love the rugby, but I'm just not interested in watching it, you know, and that's. Yeah. I hate, I mean, no, no, uh, uh, no, but, no, but you're not chauvinistic, Andy. You're allowed to have that opinion and you shouldn't have to yeah. just, this is my issue. This is what drives me mad. It's like they politicise it all and how dare you not like it? How dare you not, how dare you? There must be, you must be an animal. You must be a pig of a man. I'm over that mentality, Andy. What they just need to do is, again, stop inflating it, still just give it time to naturally organically yeah. grow don't don't tell us from the straight from the gun by the way this player is on par with Michael Jones and you need to know her yeah. like Michael Jones I would still love to go to a lot of these female journalists particularly in stuff etc that were some of the articles that are written around this World Cup they didn't just you know they were just desperate for equality they didn't just want equality they actually just wanted to get revenge on men as well I, I'd love to just sit down with them and get them to tell me the starting lineups of most of these women's rugby team. I'd love them to tell me the starting lineup from that women's World Cup side that took the field and beat England that night. I guarantee none of them can because they don't actually believe. They don't actually believe, or they don't actually practice what they preach. They don't actually watch it themselves. Yeah. Well, can you actually name the four? Actually, the four names of them. What? What's? What's the South Island team? Because it's the Highlanders and the Crusaders combined. Begins of them, but you know, like, is it is it Mother Curl? I mean, but, but, but see, that's the other thing, isn't it? And I've got no problem with Trey, I've got no problem with Mouldy and any yeah. of that. But again, that's almost just you, you sort of sense that's just another thing of box taking more virtue signaling. Um, you know, and it's like, guys, you, you want to organically grow this. Look at your, the majority of the population and actually just name these teams intelligently based on the makeup of your country, based up on the mindset of most New Zealanders. And there yeah. is nothing racist in that. That is just smart 100%. marketing. Okay. No, I 100% agree. Um, Kane Williamson. Like I'm a couple of years older than you, came out of the mighty Mount Over Grammar. You but, did with Andy Bell. Correct. I um I remember watching Martin Crow, he played the West Indies in ninety eight, he was still looking grammar. He got a golden duck. 
but I followed his career. He's still, you know, for the eye, what's it called, ethnically, the best batsman I've ever seen. Yeah, technically, but, yeah. Yeah, Kane is now surely the greatest. I mean, and I, you know, I was doing a bit of stats, a bit of um, today, and he's got 2,700s, and there's, like, Steve Smith got his 30th the other day, and he's up to 30. I think when you get the 30 test hundreds, you and then I think Smith was the 14th player to do it. And our, our guys only played two, three test series, and, like, Tim Dilker's played 200 tests. And um, I just think this guy is now... And I think the captain losing the captaincy, like he's had the elbow injury. He it was a failure for the last year, wasn't he? But he's now in the zone, and and he's just fantastic. And he will go down. He'll end up with thirty five hundreds and eleven thousand runs, and that you know that pushes him right up there. No, look, it does, Andy. It does, and I think you you provided a really good. Um... I think he provided a really good narrative around him because I was sort of struggling to wonder why I maybe haven't given him the kudos yet. Maybe I'm sort of, um, yeah, I mean, I look at Martin Crowe in the second half of his career and, you know, we were really struggling after we sort of had Wright and Edgar go. There was a period there or after we lost that, you know, it was John Wright, but, you know, we were just searching constantly for decent openers and I sometimes found Martin Crowe was exposed quite early at times where I think Kane Williamson maybe has had the luxury of having players who have maybe spent a bit more time and have seen some of the, a bit more of the new ball off. But again, unless you go through that statistically, that's just me maybe trying to find some sort of justification. The greatest test earnings I've saw was Crow at, at the Gabba, you know, when Hadley got his yeah. 15 test wickets. And um, what did Marty get? He got 185. And no one else got anywhere near that. And then, you know, when you play, I mean, like, and and, and what what's what's Kane Williamson's glaring, you know, omission off his um, you know, his his, his record was he hasn't got a Test hundred against Australia, you know, and he's the minute he does that, you know, to me he he he's up there, he's in the top ten, like. Coley, it's it's a race to the top now. Smith, yeah. Coley, and him. Yeah. Like they, they took, they took. No, they like between them, they had about five years of one Test hundred. But now they they seem to be back scoring. But yeah, no, I, I just wish Williamson the best. And um, yeah, no, no, well, yeah. well said, Andy. Lovely to have you on the program, my good man. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, re- no, re- really good call. Twenty-five minutes away from ten. I think he sort of summed that up quite nicely. Why Kane Williamson uh, probably deserves the nod as our greatest ever batsman. I mean. Yeah, statistics, you can look at them, but I still sometimes think that, yeah, statistics don't always tell a true story. Um, but, yeah, really good from Andy. Anyway, 0800 if you do want to phone the programme. A couple of uh, issues that we've brought up tonight. So the cricket being on Spark Sport, um, certainly uh, New Zealand cricket haven't got the leverage out of these two remarkable tests because of that decision. No one's watching it, and that's really unfortunate. If that had been on TVNZ last night, you would have had a million people tuned in for the last hour of that. It was that compelling. Uh, Scotty Robertson. Is he distracted at the moment as a coach because of the all-black job? Or... 
how big a loss was Jason Ryan in regards to this Crusaders team? Or will they come right? 0800-150811. And why is no one watching Alpaki Super Rugby? We were told how big women's rugby is. The momentum that would come off the back of the Women's Rugby World Cup. But no one's turning up. No one's watching it. Why? 0800-150811 is the number. 19 minutes away from 10. 0800 Hey, Ricardo, Kane Williamson has scored at least two test centuries against Australia. It's Mark Watson in for Ricardo tonight. I'd have to check on that, actually. We might just find out exactly what where Kane Williamson's 29 test hundreds have come against um, and give you a bit of an idea of um, the scope of those hundreds. But you don't think it's that relevant. I mean, look at the Australians. A lot of the Australian cricketers score a lot of test hundreds at home, don't they, over their summer? Their summer's always historically got a lot of test matches and then they tend to go overseas and don't score so many. So I don't think that we should necessarily diminish our players for scoring a lot of hundreds here at home and not necessarily overseas. I'm certainly not saying that is the case with Kane Williamson. Ben, you've got some statistics. Yeah, so he's actually got, he has got two. Uh, in 2015, back-to-back tests, he got 140 against Australia in the first of three tests at the Gabba, and then in the second test, he got 166 at the Wacker. Okay. Have you got a list of what other hundreds he scored, whereabouts he scored them? Uh, yeah, we've got the whole list here. He got his first one in India. Okay. He's yep. got one against South Africa at the Basin. Yep. Sri Lanka in Sri Lanka. Yep. Bangladesh, Bangladesh. Yep. India at Eden Park. Yep. West Indies in Kingston. Yep. West Indies in Bridgetown. Yep. Pakistan in the UAE. Yep. Sri Lanka in Wellington. Yep. England at Lords. Yep. The two in Australia. Yep. Sri Lanka at Seddon Park. Zimbabwe in Zimbabwe, Bangladesh at the Basin Reserve. He seems to love the Basin Reserve. South Africa, he got two against South Africa, one in Otago and one in Hamilton. England at Eden Park, Pakistan in the UAE, Bangladesh at Seddon Park, England at Seddon Park, West Indies at Seddon Park, and then he had three straight against Pakistan, one against England, and then the one against so Sri Lanka. He, he hasn't scored 100 in South Africa, has he? <laughs> No, he hasn't. No, we haven't played well in South Africa. It's one sort of area we always talk about trying to conquer sort of uh, India and the subcontinent, but South Africa hasn't been particularly friendly to us. But he's he, pretty much scored hundreds in every part of the world, he hasn't has, he? He has scored an ODI century in South Africa. Sure. Okay. Uh, someone just texting in too saying what he hasn't done, he hasn't got a test century against Australia in the first innings. Okay, I'm not sure that that's that relevant, but maybe, well, the the two the two uh, tons he got uh, one was a loss and one was a draw, but we also know that it's very hard for New Zealand to win a test when they get the rare opportunity to in Australia. But I'm pretty sure if you went through Joe Root and you went through Virat Kohli and you even had a look at um, Steve Smith, I think that their test records and their test hundreds probably wouldn't look a lot different in terms of the percentage of tests at home versus the percentage of tests away. Um, But it certainly shows Kane Williamson's diversity, his ability to be able to score hundreds in all conditions. He scored a double hundred against Pakistan and Pakistan, didn't he? He's had a good season so far because he was disappointing last year, Kane Williamson. I'd actually almost felt that it was time to give the game up. He decided decided that he... um, 
you know, wanted to go and play in the IPL. Didn't play against, was it Bangladesh and South Africa at home because he had a sore elbow, but miraculously it came right for the IPL. And, you know, it was a really good test series, that one. We lost it 3-0, but the difference in that series was Joe Root, and clearly Bazball as well, but Joe Root. And we just didn't have anybody challenging him in that position. And in the finish, we relied, didn't we, um, very, very heavily on... Um, Daryl Mitchell, who scored 300s and three tests over there. You were going to say something, Ben? Yeah, so I just had a quick look. Virat Kohli has 17 test centuries, and I, I, well, I, could quit, I did a quick count in India. I could get some yeah. places wrong because uh, they could have been in another country nearby, but 17 of his have come, what I believe, in India, so around there, and 17 of the 29 Joe Root have scored have come in the United Kingdom because yeah. he has got one in Wales. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. They do play tests in Wales, yeah. And what about Williamson? Do we know how many he's scored at home? Uh, let's have a look. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. Okay, so that's proportionate to his twenty-seven. Yeah, roughly, yeah, pretty so, much. So yeah, so so sort of half of them are at home, and well, a little over half are at home, and the rest away. So that seems to be right. I'd be interested to have a look at Steve Smith. Um, I still think probably the best player I've seen in my time, and the player I enjoyed watching the most, I think, was probably Ricky Ponting. I know he's an Australian, but I enjoyed Ricky Ponting as a player, enjoyed watching him. Always wanted to see him do well. It was just something very traditional and classic about him. And saying that, I'd like to see Steve Smith do well for some reason. I'm not sure why. But yet I'm not a fan of Virat Kohli. Maybe because I just look at Indian cricket as being these bully boys. They've got all the money. And therefore, they tend to dictate to the rest of the world. I didn't like the fact that, and look, every home team doctors the pitches to a degree, but some of that, you know, that first test was just purely set up, purely set up for their spinners. So much to the point where really there was no room for fast bowlers at all. It was an absolute joke, and it was over within, what, two and a half days. It's a bit like putting a green wicket in place in New Zealand in November when India are here and knowing that you're going to beat India in two days too. But the reason why people don't do that to the Indians, because they don't want to, India will then go, we're not going to play you. And that's what I talk about. I have this perception of them because of their power and their money, because of the size of their population, that they're sort of bully boys of international cricket. Therefore, I don't endear myself to them as much. I'd rather see Sri Lanka, um, Pakistan and, and Bangladesh um, perform more than I like to see India perform. 12 minutes away from 10. 0800 1508 is a number. Okay, Andy, the Druid from Christchurch is texting. He says, sorry, folks, got it wrong. Kane is great because Andy had come on in very good call, actually. Andy just saying he didn't think that Williamson had scored test hundreds against Australia, but in fact we found out he has scored two. Um, but, hey, no. Ben? I was going to say, though, do you think part of the legacy with Kane has been based on the couple of years where he's kind of prioritised the IPL as opposed yeah, to yeah. New Zealand and that is probably going to still be on people's minds even after he retires because I think maybe if he had that I know he's been dedicated to New Zealand but you know what I mean if he kind yeah, of Yeah, no, it annoyed the hell out of me last year where 
you know, he wasn't available for Bangladesh in the summer series in New Zealand, wasn't available to play South Africa because of this elbow injury, but then miraculously came right for the IPL where there were millions up for grabs for him. But we were playing a really important three-test series in England. We don't get those opportunities that often. Um, And I think we need to go into those series with the best preparation possible. And I think playing T20 cricket and then turning up a day or two days before the first test is not good enough if you're the New Zealand cricket captain. Um, I know that Steve Smith took quite a bit of time out of the IPL when he was playing and captaining in Australia before Sandpaper Gate. And a number of other players have done it over the years. And so that, for me, is always that little asterisk. Now, I'm not saying that guys like Martin Crow and stuff wouldn't have taken the money. I'd imagine every player in the world is going to be um, wanting to pick up a million bucks for playing, what, eight or nine weeks of cricket. You'd, hey, I'd, I'd do the same. Um, or would I? Captain of New Zealand, would I? I don't know. But yeah, I think if you're gonna, if there's going to be a slight blight on his reputation and time, that would probably be the one thing for me. Mind you, you damage the reputation of a lot of players. That IPL has just been, I think it's just been incredibly damaging for international cricket. Uh, I don't, no one here really watches it. No one really cares, do they, about it? It gets a bit of coverage when New Zealand players stands out on the odd occasion. But really, it's just all about the players. To me, I've always looked at the IPL, the Indian Premier League, is really just money laundering. I just know the way things operate in India and as a country that just really operates on corruption. That's just the way things are done. And the amount of money that goes to those players, um, to me, it's just, yeah, it's just funneling money from somewhere. Whether it be through illegal gambling or whatever it might be. Call me a cynic. But I'm not the only one out there. Uh, look, coming up after 10 o'clock, I just want to have a look at Gary Lineker, uh, these comments that he's made on Twitter regarding the government's immigration policy. Should he have the right to come out and use his influence to talk about the government? Were the BBC right in terms of standing him down? It's clearly been resolved. He's going to be back on deck doing the match day football show they do over there. It's an interesting discussion and I'd imagine that it's going to divide opinion. There, initially I was very much on the side of Gary Lineker and then I've heard and listened to some BBC correspondents discuss this with some very good points made that have maybe think that he shouldn't be making comments in and around government policy. And I'll give you the reasons why after 10. Uh, ben, the music choices tonight seems slightly, um, I don't know, seems slightly different to what we sort of historically have maybe played. What, what's Have we got a theme tonight or are you just going off on a... I'm just playing some different tunes for a change. Don't, don't have a problem with it. I'm just sort of wanting to understand the... Um, oh, why not? I just... Playing some different songs. No, fair enough. All good. All good. Anyway, we're with you for another hour. Telephone number is 0800 I keep saying this. I think Talkback is a better experience when you do phone the program. 
Uh, just want to, big story in the UK, and this is this um, match of the day uh, football show that they have in the UK, and it features former England captain and Tottenham Hotspur great Gary Lineker, highest paid sports broadcaster in the UK at about 1.2 or 1.3 million pounds, works for the BBC. But the BBC have a mandate that you have to stay politically neutral, that you can't criticise government or you can't necessarily promote an ideology of the government, whether it be positive or negative. Um, Government have got a pretty strong stance in England or in the UK on immigration, and it doesn't necessarily read that well. And Gary Lineker came out and criticised it and then was stood down. A number of other players like Alan Shearer said, well, if he goes, I go. Because they all felt that what Gary Lineker was saying was a good thing because it basically defended human rights. And it was very much pro about was very much pro the rights of people and and giving immigrants an opportunity for a better life. The argument is, though, that Gary Lineker is worth millions. He lives in a big mansion. He sees the world a little bit differently. He is classified as what they call a champagne socialist. It's all very well to have these socialist values when ultimately it's never going to impact you because you're so far removed from it. And the immigration policy in the UK is a big thing. There are a lot of people who just don't believe the country is big enough for any more migrants. A lot of people can't get their kids into school because of immigration and the schools are overflowing and there's simply not enough infrastructure. Life is tough in the UK for a lot of people and they just don't feel that the government can continue to fork out huge amounts of money on benefits and socialist reforms and that money could be better spent elsewhere and that it's time to maybe curb the level of immigration into the UK. And because of that, they don't feel it's right that Gary Lineker should have a say. People are paying, over there you have to pay a broadcasting fee every year, which people are doing. And they don't feel that their money, which is ultimately paying Gary Lineker, that Gary Lineker should be there just to purely present sport and stay well and truly out of politics because not everybody agrees with Gary Lineker's point of view because Gary Lineker doesn't do life particularly tough and whatever happens, it's not ultimately going to affect him. So it's the sort of freedom of speech versus the position you're in. And because of the position you're in, whether or not you should just provide a position of neutrality 
and just do your job, which is deliver sport. Can you get your thoughts on this one? 0800 is the number. 0800 is the number. Uh, New Zealand cricket, two stunning tests, but how many people actually watched it? Where's the sense of nationalism that should have gone around that stunning victory over England in the second test and equally stunning victory over Sri Lanka yesterday? There is none because New Zealand cricket took the money when they decided to go with Spark. Failing to remember that they were going to lose probably 80% of their audience in doing so. How many people watch this? I think we should be entitled to know what those numbers are from Spark and New Zealand Cricket should release the numbers in terms of the viewing numbers. I'll be honest, a number of these New Zealand cricketers could walk down the street and I probably wouldn't recognise them. I don't know what Michael Bracewell really looks like. I might pick Devin Conway out, not 100% convinced. Probably couldn't necessarily identify Henry Nichols. Blair Tickner. Yet when cricket was on Sky and prior to that, Television New Zealand, they were the most recognisable faces in the country alongside of the All Blacks. Where's the accountability? Somebody should be challenging New Zealand cricket on that decision to go with Spark. If that cricket match had been on television New Zealand last night, a million people would have watched that last hour. It was that compelling. 0800 150 811 is the number if you want to touch on that. Uh, Equally too, um, Crusaders, and I know we've got Graham waiting, I'm sure we want to um, have a say on this. You're the third game into the season, you've already dropped one, you go to Fiji, it's a cauldron, and you put out a second string side. Arrogance? Smart? And it just didn't come off? Fiji and Fiji, never easy. Particularly in that crowd. Suddenly, three games, two losses and one win. Has Scott Robertson, is he distracted at the moment? Because of what's going on in the background with the All Black job? Or are the Crusaders... And maybe they've always known this, and maybe the rest of us are finding out that Jason Ryan was just simply a huge loss when he took a job with the All Blacks. Or or is it just a simple case of, hey, we're only three games in and Crusaders just haven't hit their straps. This has been the case in the past. They'll come right and they'll go on and win the tournament. Oh, 800 is the number. Hi, Graham. Right, g'day, uh, Mark. Good, great to hear you back on here, by the way. Yeah, thank you. Hope everything's all right. I know you've had a bit of a tough time. Yeah, but um, with everything up there, so I hope you're getting things sorted. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've been um, been red stickered for a while out at Murawai. We've got a bit of good news today, so. but Oh, that's but good. Good news for us, but not necessarily <clears throat> good news for some others. It's just a, it's an absolute disaster zone, so. Yeah, so. Um, yeah, so yeah. I know what it was like in. I mean, the earthquakes are different to the. But it's similar. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people. Some, some people are just luckier than others, and you know, you can be, yeah, depending on which neighbourhood. And yeah, no, I just, yeah, sickening about it. Yeah, when you, I know you haven't been on air for a while, but just on Gary Lineker, I, I think what, you know, rightly or wrongly, I think, you know, he's entitled to his opinion. I mean, otherwise, you, you know, it's freedom of speech issue. You know, people, people are entitled then to say that, you know, he's living in his ivory tower, commenting on 
you know, I mean, and people are struggling. It's like this country, but Britain is probably worse. You know, it always has been the disparity between rich and poor and yeah, I mean, but ultimately he's allowed to say what he's allowed to say. Yeah, I, I, I think the argument, though, is that it's all very well for him sitting there saying, hey, you know, let's let migration go, let it cut loose, let it go free, because it's never really going to affect him. He's not having to, you know, no, he, no. he doesn't have the pressures on that everyday people have. And, and there are, as you said, there are a lot of people that do it tough in the UK who don't want immigration. That's got nothing to do with them being racist or anything else. They're just seeing the no, exactly. social pressures that it's having and ultimately the effect it's then having on them and maybe their communities. Um, and perhaps enough is enough. And the last thing they need to hear from is Gary Lineker, who's out of touch, out of reality, telling us that the government are wrong with what they're doing. And that's where the BBC have come in and said, well, actually, you know, you're employed by us, um, and a policy of ours for a long time has been politically neutral. Where it's also come undone is that they have had other personalities on the BBC across other genres who have tweeted, who have used social media to comment on government and nothing's been done about it and I think the double standard has probably been um, maybe the reason why they've had to back down Yeah exactly and yeah it's a yeah and it, that's right and of course nowadays if someone comments the other way against what Gary said, Gary Lineker said then you know it's the you're automatically racist, even if it's about living standards and and you know people living in mm. in areas that that are highly populated and, and actually don't need more people living in them because yeah, mm. people are you know there's no housing for them. Yeah, mm. so those issues can yeah it can be a wee but yeah it's a tricky one. But yeah, no, I I take your point. Yeah, a good one on the cricket. Yeah, I mean, and I agree with what you said about Spark. I mean. You know, we've discussed this before, but the great moments in New Zealand cricket in the 70s, 80s, and 90s were frozen in time, and indeed into the early 2000s. You know, the great, oh, we don't need to, you know, many of them are that live, and many of us are on TV, but now it's, um, you know, a pigeon has to drop the news to you, or you, you hear it, you know, comments, people talking about it on a station where it's not actually live, you know. Um, yeah, it's become very, very, yeah, it's so distant now, the cricket, you know, and I think that's a tragedy. Oh, 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 look, I, I mean, I think they are, I think, you know, yeah, people are just not familiar with them. Um, as you said, I think it was a great line, you know, frozen in time. Those moments should be frozen in time. They should be just iconic moments, and they're not because no one watched them. Um, and New Zealand cricket, you know, just taking the money, and not looking at the bigger picture, not looking at some of the intangibles, is completely and utterly irresponsible. And who these people are on the border, who these people are that are paid to make these decisions, clearly don't have a lot of business acumen or common sense. Oh, I know exactly. And but you know, but, it's, but yeah, I think that that taking it away from the people, you know, aspect. It's one thing I've always it's our uh, game. Admired, um, yeah, yeah, and Brit you know, Brit that's what I've always loved about. You know, I don't follow football as much as you, but um, you know, in Britain, but you know, they they own the game. You know, they kick up, you know, the Liverpool fans, Man United fans, all those fans, they they kick up a storm and and they get they get results sometimes. You know, when well, owners do something, you know, whereas over here, there's sort of well, the players the own the players own the, 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 the masters. Yeah. The players own the game now, mate. New Zealand public don't own the game, and I think it's a really good model you bring up. You're right. 
in the UK, the fans own that game, man, and there's even political legislation will be put in place if, you know, if, if you know, controls in and around owners, um, how, you know, how much money they spend, um, and making sure that the fans are always have access to football. And yet in this country, all we've done, I think it used to be that way, but all we've done now, everything's just about the player. Well, I think, it, yeah, but I think, it, yeah, it's, but it's all, it's not, yeah, but I mean, the players, you know, do do want people, I mean, I know the Players Association that you're probably referencing, but, yeah, I, I also think the players do want the crowds there, and a lot of it's dictated by sort of, a, in cricket and rugby, at <clears throat> the top level in Wellington, you know, that it's, Really, it's about broadcasting rights and getting the money through that when actually the players want to play during the day with a crowd there rather than at night when there's no one there. When it's rain, I mean, you can't control the weather, but they, you know, actually the player, you know, that's the way I see it anyway. I think. But can you you imagine, can you imagine the interest in cricket and the demand commercially to be involved in cricket if they had have had that game, even on Sky, but imagine on TVNZ last night, even the England game. It would have been America's oh, yeah. cu- it would have been well, America's cup well. fever. And then what you've got to then go and sell. So what you might you might take a cut in terms of your broadcast deal, but boy, you get that back uh through Oh yeah. Commercial opportunities and just yep. the simply number of bums on seats, the number of sets of eyes. And the kids would be playing cricket. As we did, you know, and, you know, whatever age group you were, the next day to be out playing cricket, singing like Richard Hadley mm. or later it was, you know, Shane Bond, Stephen Fleming or, you know, and Martin Crow and all those guys. And, yeah, they'd be trying to, well, remember what happened last night at the, you know, the, the Benson and Hedges, dare mm. I mention it, you know, final New Zealand, Australia. But now, now, now it's, uh, unless they've actually watched it, it's and it, the crowds, you know, are all right, but they're not what they were. But yeah, Alan Williamson, you know, look at what he's done is amazing. But I still bring up that the thorny issue of the bowling attacks and that. And I know a lot of people don't like that being brought up, but I still believe Crow, um, in my opinion, was their greatest player. Yeah, but I mean, Williamson, yeah, I, Williamson look, deserves plaudits, you know, hugely for what for what he's doing. I mean, he's a well, you, you you look at this. Player. Put it this way. You go back to the era of Crow, and you know the likes of Hadley, the greatest bowlers, were all averaging around 21 runs for a wicket, yeah. right? You look now, the top bowlers around 26, 27. So that gives you an idea that the conditions are a lot better now for batters, aren't they? Um, yeah. And wickets are prepared better. You've got neutral umpires and a whole lot of other things in place too. So, yeah, look, um, only time will really tell. I mean, Kane Williamson for me needs to be out of the game for ten years for me to be able to probably have some clarity around his legacy versus that of Martin Crow. Hey, look quickly, Graham. I made a couple of comments there regarding the Crusaders. Your thoughts? Oh yeah, no, I, I think you know you, you made. I don't, you know, I think that we've had, we've ever we have had a lot of injuries. We went to Fiji, played during the day, could have won it, didn't. Um, you know, it was a bit of a. It was a banana skin match. I, I believe they will bounce back. You know, I've got yeah. total faith in Scott Robertson. I think some comments are trying to say that he, you know, he is a, you know, a great, you know, a visionary coach really in many ways. And and um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a great game against the the Blues. But you know, what the Fiji and Drua did was magnificent for them. But um, at the same time, I, you know, I've been here and done that with you know in these situations with the Crusaders and. Um, they, you know, I believe that, yeah, it's not some sort of permanent disaster area, but I think injuries and non-avail and the all-black resting policy, you know, 
does factor in with them all. Oh, of course but, it does. It's a bloody disaster, that thing, mate. It's an absolute indictment on the game. And it's not just the Crusaders either. No, it's yeah. appalling. I mean, you look at week two of the Highlanders game and what, they didn't have Shannon Frizzell... Well, uh, Billy Harmon never played for, on that did, Northern did, tour. Didn't, that, it, I mean, that, not enough Decorate. was said about yeah. that. How no. they included him in that policy. He should have been exempted. Oh. He went over there, didn't play, <laughs> and um, didn't, he was on the New Zealand A tour, got pulled into the All Blacks, then didn't play. I mean, that is ridiculous. That that alone is, is just highlights to me like a, a blowtorch, how stupid that is. No, you know? yeah, no. Well said, Graham. Love the passion. Thank you for joining hey, us on man. the program as always. Thank you. 17, 18 minutes after 10. 0800 150811. Plenty of passion there from Graham. Yeah, the Gary Lineker issue. Um, yeah. Uh, BBC clear policy. Stay impartial. Stay neutral. Do your job. Where they've come undone is other high-profile personality who work for BBZ in presenting roles in different genres have got away with it. He gets signalled out. I think where Gary Lineker perhaps loses credibility, look, I agree with what he's saying. You know, people don't jump in boats and risk their lives with their kids and everything to get to Great Britain because they just simply want a better life. I get that. And you can't have these policies that... um, are so brutal and so harsh that, yeah, they do have a, and I think it's what Lineker, uh, what Lineker um, compared it to, you know, it's almost a little bit of Nazi Germany in there in terms of almost a cleansing type policy. But you can be a champagne socialist because you ultimately know it's never going to affect you because you're well set up, you're incredibly well resourced, got big beautiful houses, plenty of land, can afford to get your kids into the top private schools. You're not the ones doing it tough, seeing a social welfare system under pressure, a health system under pressure, a schooling system under pressure, who actually are in agreement with the government's policy on trying to reduce the volume of immigration. People are paying a broadcasting fee every year in the UK. People paying tax, it's taxpayers' dollars that are paying Gary Lineker is £1.3 million a year. And there's a lot of people who are paying that tax, who are paying those broadcasting fees, who don't agree with them and don't believe... He should be having a say on it. 0800 is the number. Lines are open.